one. Page one of the Gospel of Luke. Okay? <clears throat> Mine doesn't have page numbers because it depends on where I start or the pages are, but it's kind of interesting in, digi- in the digital world. <clears throat> but we're looking forward to doing this. I'm, I'm, this is going to be fun. We really enjoyed I really enjoyed doing Haggai and uh, the way we went through that. Now we're going to do Luke. So, some thoughts. Let's read the first few verses because that's the introduction that Luke made. And then I'm going to jump off of there. Okay? So Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered up them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. <clears throat> so, um, obviously, Luke's writing this to Theophilus. It's an orderly account. And uh, we'll come back to that, but I think it's interesting to note that, that he, that's how he's laid it out. Um, and I'll come back to this, but Luke is not always chronological. It's more uh, subject by subject or whatever. Um, there's, the chronology is there, but some things appear to be sooner in Luke than in the other Gospels, and the other Gospels tell you exactly how it pins down. Just a few things like that. But they're all, they, uh, they agree as far as that. Luke doesn't join them in chronology, I guess is what I might say. And you, we'll see that as we go through. He doesn't say, and then they went here. He makes bigger, bigger leaps or doesn't make a leap. He just, and now they did this. And, you know, so we'll see that. The other place, though, that I like to um, start from and for us to think about, because this really impressed me as I thought about it. Oh, that's not the right place. Come on, try again. Hebrews chapter 1. And you're probably familiar with this, but I think this is a great way to introduce any of the Gospels, for that matter. And, and we're kind of, since we're doing one, this really spoke to my heart. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And um, thinking about this, it really stood out to me as I was thinking about it. The Gospels are really special. He says here, uh, the writer of the Hebrews, says, God who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in last days spoken to us by, and you could leave his son out, by son. He's, the son's come into the world, and now this is how God's speaking to the world. And it's much different than any of the other times that we see, and we get the, the privilege and the enjoyment of... Um, looking 
at the Gospels and seeing how God's speaking to us. And they all have a different viewpoint. And I'll just mention them quickly. And Matthew, Matthew is most, maybe the most to the Jews. Um, and he's the Messiah. He's the king. He's coming. And here's all those things. And so we have kingdom parables. And we have all these um, different things about how the kingdom works. And Matthew emphasizes the kingship of, of the Lord Jesus. Mark is the servant. And Mark, I think, uh, if you look at it, he uses and henceforth and next and all these things as you go through. He, he's going right through in very chronological order most of the time. Um, that, you know, Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and he's always on his way here and on his way there, and he's got a schedule to keep, and he's going there, and, and you see very much all the servant attitude of the Lord Jesus. In Luke, we have the Son of Man, and he's the perfect man, and he's a man. And Luke's a little different than the rest, as Luke's a, pretty sure is a Gentile. And he's not writing from a, from a Jewish perspective. He's writing from a, a Gentile perspective more. And it's very clear as you go through it, and, and I love the way the, the different aspect or the different view we get on of things that are in a number of the Gospels, as you see uh, Luke's emphasis there. And then John is the son of God, the son of, and he does all the IMs. He's the only one that does the IMs. And we see all these things, but we see it there. And so as we look at this, as we're going through Luke, we're going to see the son of man, the perfect man, as we go through it. <clears throat> and so God's speaking to us now by his son, and we need to pay attention. And as we go through the gospel of Luke, we're going to get a lot of his son. We're going to see how he speaks to us. And, and some of the things are like, oh, it's so, it seems to me when I read through the Gospels, it seems so simple. Why isn't it this simple as it sounds in the Gospel? And sometimes it's because we add all this baggage to it, I think, as I, as I look at it. We add a lot of stuff um, where we just say, oh, this is the way it is. God says it and, and so forth as we go through. So as we see that, and Luke spends the most time of the, the Gospels on the Incarnation um, and shows us the importance of that. He shows us the things that were happening before that. Um, and just some notes on the Incarnation, how the Incarnation shows the heart of God. Okay. Um, <clears throat> first of all, God was in Christ. And, um, and we'll make more of that here as we go. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse... 19 says, well, let's go to 18 first. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And so as we look through this or, and go through this gospel, we'll see that God's in Christ. And, and it's interesting, some of those things that kind of sometimes are hard to understand. But God was in Christ, and he's not only the Son of God here, and he'll um, refer to that a few times and things, but God is in him, and he's doing, he's reconciling the world to himself, I guess. If there wasn't the, the incarnation, we wouldn't have the cross. 
There'd be no redemption, there'd be no re resurrection, there'd be no forgiveness, there'd be no gift of the Holy Spirit, there'd be no church, no kingdom of the Son of Man, um, none of these things, uh, some more things too, but we wouldn't have all those things if he wasn't born and uh, into the world. And so we see that <coughs> um, as we go through and just some of the, the fun things there. <coughs> go back to the beginning of Luke, I don't know if I need go there again yet or not but <clears throat> so so we read those first um, verses and he tells us there this is an orderly narrative an, an account and like I said maybe more topically arranged he puts things together that shows us um, aspects or um, can't think of the word it shows us more the aspects of, of Christ and Luke is very um, devoted to the moral, looking at Christ morally. Um, and, and so that's interesting. I had a hard time struggling. Does that make sense? We're looking at him morally, but his moral superiority to man, the way he reacts to the world around him is just fun to behold. And, and it's very instructive as we see that. And uh, we need to remember here as we go through this too, that this is an eye, he talked to eyewitnesses, more of the reporter type here, and ministers of the word. There were already people that, that did that, were recognized as ministers of the world. And so this is where this account has all come from uh, as we go through it. So um, he's very, the rest of them going through that, say, I did this and I did this and I talked to these people and, and those things as we see. But looking forward to Luke. squint at all. I might need a little step stool. Um, yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, there's a couple of things that I, I looked at that Mark had already covered, um, but uh, we don't need an introduction, so I'll just jump right into it. Um, I read a couple different uh, commentaries on this, uh, Ironside, and of course we have the McDonald book, and um, I also looked at the other Gospels, and I came across the same thing, so it's good to know that we, uh, we, we had the same information on the different actually me. I called, I called him to, to give me a, a chance to get my thoughts together. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I looked at Matthew as the promised Messiah. Mark, or Mark, Matthew looks at Christ that way. Mark as the servant, as Mark said. Um, John as the eternal son of the father. And then um, Luke here as, as the man or, or the son of man. Um, and one of the interesting things that Ironside brought out was that it focuses a lot on Christ's prayer life, you'll see, which kind of further points to Christ as fully man, even though also fully God. But as thinking about somebody who would pray to God, you think about us, you think about man or humans praying to God, um, that kind of portrays him or showcases him even more so as the son of man. And you see that all throughout Luke, where he doesn't make a decision or go and do something without first giving it to his father. You see that folks in the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament as well, They'll do that sometimes, and then they'll not do that at all, and you see the repercussions, and then they'll go back and do that again, and then they'll not do it, and that's not the case with Christ. It's the case with us, for sure, 
but it's not the case with Christ. And I think that's a, um, a habit that we can each, you know, emulate within ourselves as we kind of go through Luke. Something to focus on, looking for those particular pieces where Christ is, is giving everything to God, not just the glory, but the situations and praying to his own Father um, as fully man yet fully God and something that we can emulate in our lives to pray and give everything to the Lord. Um, another interesting thing that kind of sets this gospel apart is that we see Christ dining and supping with others more in Luke than any of the other gospels. Um, and that also continues to kind of depict Christ as a man, because when I think about, oh, if I were to go over to Bill's house and have dinner with him, you know, that is, uh, th that's something that you would do as, as, as a human being. Um, when Christ came down to this earth and became man, he was going over to people's houses and sinners and believers alike, not necessarily just, you know, he didn't come just to, um, to speak to those who already had uh, the, the saving knowledge or who already were in the, the flock, but those who were sinners um, came to seek and to save those who were lost. So um, you see Levi and Matthew's house in Luke 5, 27 to 39. You don't have to write these all down, much less turn to them because I'm just going to rapid fire through them. Um, Simon the Pharisee's house in Luke 7, 36 to 50. Martha and Mary's house in Luke 11, uh, 37 to 54. The house of one of the chief Pharisees in Luke 14. The Last Supper in the upper room we have as you get towards the end of the book. Um, the house of the two on the road to Emmaus in, in Luke 24. In Jerusalem with the disciples also in Luke 24 towards the end. And then you have, you know, when he eats in the grain fields with the disciples, the feeding of the groups with loaves and fish on, on those two occasions. So there's a lot of examples there in that book where we see, and those, some of those stories are in the other Gospels as well, but you see a lot more here in this book. And I... Um, in my study as well, I saw the same thing that Mark had brought out. Luke was, as, as you look at the beginning of the book of Luke, it's written to Theophilus, and there's a lot of thought around who Theophilus was. Um, it says most excellent Theophilus, which is a title. You see that most excellent Festus. Um, you see that elsewhere in the Bible, and the thought is that he could have been some sort of Roman official or dignitary, but also a good friend. Um, of Luke's and um, someone who was likely uh, a Gentile perhaps that was likely as well being brought into an understanding of, of the word and the gospel because it says in verse 4 that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so as you know about Luke as a physician and, and, and a scholar, uh, he was going out and he was making sure just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word um, that it seemed also to him good to go around and make sure that he has that eyewitness account from some of those people that were there at the time and some of the, the people that he could talk to that knew firsthand accounts of some of these things. Um, and you see in Acts as well, if you, if you were to look at the beginning of Acts, that is also written by Luke to Theophilus because it says, you know, I write to you again, um, Theophilus, etc. So... Uh, just interesting that these were written to, you know, a friend of his, Theophilus. Again, this is conjecture on that part because there's not too much else. I think, if I'm not mistaken, those are the only two points in the, in the scriptures where we see um, Theophilus. And so I did a little bit of study, but there's just not much known. So it was just like, here's what we think as far as who that could have been. But that's also not particularly um, hyper important in this circumstance. But um, very, very structured and very, very fact-based in how he goes about all these different things with a lot of 
unique elements in the book as well. We talked about the song that Mary sung in the breaking of bread, um, the prophecy to Zechariah, the prophecy to Mary from Gabriel. These are the only times you see those in this book, um, in, in, you know, especially with all the detail presented. Many parables that are only recorded here. Um, in, in Luke chapter 1, I think you've got a lot of uniqueness where Gabriel visits Zechariah, Gabriel visits Mary, the song that Mary sings, the prophecy of Zechariah um, in talking about um, John the Baptist. So there's, there's a lot in here. And just to kind of leave it off on this to turn it over to Casey as far as like a high-level breakdown um, from what I found, again, in my study, you have kind of in 1 to 4, you have the birth, baptism, and temptation of the Lord. And 4 to 18, you kind of have the opening of the way to salvation and approach to God. And then in 19 to 24, you have the crucifixion and resurrection. So I'm similarly very excited to get into this. Um, just in reading through the first chapter, you know, over the last few days, because that's the piece I'm probably going to speak on coming up here soon. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. So very excited. But what are you, Casey? All right. Thank you, both Marks. Wow, you're right. I'm going to push that down a little bit. Um, there's a clamp that you have to... Uh, that, that was enough. I powered right through the clamp. Yeah. Um, yeah, so forgive me if there's a little bit of uh, overlap. I'll try to cut out anything that was excessively overlapped. Um, so one of the things I started out with looking at was, you know, how do we know uh, Luke is the author? Because the book doesn't say. It never says, you know, this book written by Luke. Um, but it's generally assumed. Um, so one of the first things they point out is that Luke and Acts are written by the same author. Um, the, the style and vocabulary are very similar. They're both addressed to Theophilus, as Mark pointed out. Um, and also Acts refers to the first book, you know, which seems to be Luke. Um, so interestingly, in Acts, the author uh, uses we to describe Paul's missionary team. So it's assumed that the author is traveling with Paul as part of that team. Um, and among those named with Paul... Um, <clears throat> From the t so when he, he, Paul was writing from Rome, Rome, which is when we is used, uh, the scholars seem to agree that Luke is the most likely candidate. I'll give you a few different reasons why. So first off, um, the tradition, early church tradition, unanimously says that Luke is the author. Nobody's like, well, no, it could have been such and such. No, they're all like, Luke's the guy. Um, pretty much every early Christian writer who mentions it... Um, Set, uh, attributes it to Luke. We're talking Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen. Um, and then, so in Colossians 4.14, which I guess I'll turn there. Uh, so 4.14, uh, Paul says, you know, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Um, and this is physician like a doctor. Uh, side note, since we're in Colossians, if you look a little earlier, uh, starting in verse 10, you know, he's listing off the people who are with him, and when he, you know, he starts to list off a few, and then when he gets to 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And then he goes on and he lists other people, and that's why they're pretty sure Luke is a Gentile, or at least if he's a Jew, he's 
a Hellenized Jew and not, you know, picture like Timothy, you know, was born not in Jerusalem, was half Jew, but he wasn't circumcised until he became circumcised. But so Luke here is definitely not circumcised. So most people assume he is a Gentile. It's possible that he had some Jew Jewish lineage in him, but we'll just say for the sake of argument that he was a Gentile. Um, tradition also has it that he was born in Antioch, which is in Syria, which so a little bit north. <clears throat> and then as for being a doctor, just some interesting things in his writings, um, in Luke and Acts, a couple of things. Uh, his descriptions of, the de of various like, sicknesses include fever and dysentery um, and dropsy. Dropsy, that's the only time it's used in the Bible. And if you want to get real technical and you look at um, Hippocratic study, these are two terms that they would tell doctors to use. Um, also, uh, I thought this was kind of funny, so I'll, I'll read a little bit. Mark 5.26. Let's see, so it's talking about uh, 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So Mark says she suffered much under many physicians. Then if you turn to Luke 8.43, um, he says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So just I thought that was funny, just, you know, the physician there being like, you know, they just couldn't heal her. They tried, you know, and Mark being like, she suffered under those physicians. Um, anyway, I, I got a kick out of that. Um, so also with, with uh, backing up Luke being the author and also showing like his doctor is, his writing style in the Greek is uh, one of the more sophisticated. Uh, they call it high Greek. Um, and basically it's just like, you know, if you were to get a book from a doctor now, probably be hard to get through, but it'd be long and use bigger words. Um, the style would be more structured, however they taught them to do it in college, as opposed to if you got writing from, I don't know, some guy that was a fisherman. It'd be a different style, and that's very much evident. Um, so, and like one of those styles is just, and as he says in the, the first few verses, you know, the an orderly account, so the exactness of his count. So we're talking, you know, and you'll see, he, he always tries to tell you when, who was reigning, who was the governor at the time, what year of the governorship. Um, and then also, like, his, his geography is very exact um, and has impressed many, many historians, even non-Christian ones, for how much time and effort he put into getting those things right. Um, so as far as when it was written... Interesting here, too. So Acts ends with Paul still under house arrest. So if you're just using the Bible, apparently it be before Paul dies. Um, and Paul died in 68 AD. Also, there's no mention in either account of the destruction of Jerusalem, which was... 80 70. Very good. I knew you'd get that for me. Um, so, you know, these are... Two events that it would seem, if they had happened, you know, would be included. So, 
Again, if you're looking just at the Bible, you've got to say it's before 70 A.D., before 68 A.D., really. Um, there's a side note here. We were talking about this a little bit. So if you were to look on Google, Google would tell you, you know, maybe it was written, you know, so depending on which site and which thing comes up, you'd look back and it'd be like, maybe in like a little before 300, you know, and you're like, 300? You know, and then you look and, you know, some of them you'd be like a little earlier, like some people try to push it all the way up to 90 AD, but they really have nothing to go for for this. Um, and we were talking a little bit about how Google is very subtle, but about, like, especially in, like we talked about the dates of these things, they try to push them back and try to make it sound like there's all these conflicting reports. Um, but if you do some non-Google research, you will find that there are not conflicting reports. And in fact, Loop was written much earlier than they said. And to say here that it was written before 68 AD is right in line with when it should be, according to like first manuscripts. And, and you also have, it's funny, because I read one thing that said it was written in like late third century. And yet, Justin Martyr in 150 quotes it. Figure that one out, right? Um, so anyway, another interesting quote here that I thought was very relevant. If we turn to, or you don't even have to turn there, but 1 Timothy 5.18. Oh, I went too far. I'm too fisting it here. This is difficult for me. There we go. 1 Timothy 5.18. <clears throat> For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's a quote. That's from Deuteronomy. And the laborer deserves his wages. And that is from Luke 10, verse 7. Which, for dating and also for scriptural reference, is very fascinating to say, Paul considered this a scripture. Obviously, before he wrote 1 Timothy. Um, and 1 Timothy, they say, was written probably like 62 to 64 A.D. So evidently, you know, Luke was written before this, and it had enough time to circulate for, you know, Paul to say, this was a scripture. And so also as far as scriptural is like, should this book be in the canon? Well, Paul says it's scripture. So I'd, I'd call it a pretty airtight uh, case. And just... I'm going to finish with a few general thoughts on the book instead of just, you know, Luke and when it was written and such. Uh, this one I found interesting. So Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. You know, we just did Haggai, and now we're really switching over. Um, and for those of you that are saying, but Casey, Luke only has 24 chapters, and Matthew has 28, and Acts has 28. That's true, but Luke has more words. Um, and on that note, if you said that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Technically, you'd be wrong. Because, although Paul wrote 13 books, compared to Luke's two, Luke, Luke wrote more words. He accounted for, I believe it was 27.5% of the entire New Testament. So I, I thought that was interesting, because I was just in my mind, was like, yep, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Which, and he did write the vast majority of the books, well, about half of them. But Luke, as far as straight words, wrote the most. And you guys talked a bit about the, the intro in Luke 1 through 4, um, about to the Gentile audience, and, you know, an orderly thing, uh, then that, so that we may have certainty concerning Jesus. Um, and then you guys also talked a little bit about verse 2, talking about how um, 
He got his information from eyewitnesses. Now, this thing, I, this I found interesting. And many scholars believe that one of his eyewitnesses was Mary, um, because he has much more detail that, about uh, Jesus' birth and early years than any of the other gospels. Um, so, like, uh, this is speculation, but a lot of a lot of scholars really think that you know one of the eyewitnesses was Mary, and which would make sense. You know? um, and then also talked about him uh, being as a Gentile, uh, how Luke's gospel has a clear message of showing that Jesus came and died for the salvation of everyone, the world, not just the Jews. Um, also, and also uh, read a bit about, you know, not just, not just talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, but men and women, that this is, you know, showing very much that he came for women as well. A couple of examples of this would be the genealogy. You know, that he gives in Matthew, it goes back to Abraham. In Luke, it goes all the way back to Adam. You know, we're all from Adam. He came for us all. Um, let's see. And then you, you can see little tidbits all through the book of Luke, which I, I won't quote those two, but a couple just about how he's like the light to the entire world and all that type of stuff. And then even his, like, his first public appearance, he's rejected by his hometown. And then like the centurion, you know, where he says, you know, not in Israel have I found, uh, have I found such faith. You know, he's saying about this, this, not, this Gentile. Um, and that he's also the one that does the, the woe to all the Jewish cities. You know, and if, if, you know, this had been, happened in whatever other city it was, I forget at the moment, that wasn't Jewish. They would have repented long ago. So you can kind of see he's got, got a soft spot for, for Gentiles a little bit. And isn't, like if you read Matthew, you see he's more like, yeah, the Jews. You know, the Jews are prominent. But in, in Luke, you see more like, you know, the Gentiles, Gentiles are doing good, you know, at least there. Um, and so then also, I, and just finishing up with, and you guys hit, hit on this a little bit, there's the common thought and teaching that like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all kind of copied one another. Um, and, you know, using each other as sources. And while there is some truth to this, I mean, obviously the first one didn't, but a lot of people say Mark was first. There's a little debate over whether it was Mark or Matthew. But either way, it is likely that Luke would have had like the book of Mark right there as he's writing this to like kind of check and see which things he wants to write. Um, but, oh, and also I did want to hit, um, so besides Mary as an eyewitness source, um, obviously he traveled with Paul. Um, you have the four gospels. So Matthew, you know, is Matthew and John is John. Uh, they say Mark uh, was, t was kind of basically like Peter's account is what they usually say is that Mark kind of took Peter's eyewitness account and took that. And then you have Luke who would have talked to Mary and probably a couple of the other apostles and some of the disciples who traveled with Jesus. Um, but so all that to say is even though he probably had the book of Mark right there, it's very evident that he did his own research. Um, and as they said, he wrote a unique and divinely dis inspired uh, gospel. Remember, Paul calls it scripture. So just to point out a couple things that he had that the others didn't. He has six miracles in Luke that are nowhere else, including raising the widow's son, cleansing the ten lepers, and healing the servant's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane after it had been cut off. Um, also, he has uh, the road to Emmaus, the conversation of the thieves on the cross, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. All those are things that are only in Luke. And then as Mark pointed out, there are a lot of parables, 15 parables actually, that are in Luke and nowhere else. And these include 
the good Samaritan, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the wedding feast, the dishonest slash shrewd manager, the rich man and Lazarus, the persistent widow, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the two debtors and the rich fool. So like, those are some big time parables in there. Like, you're like, yeah, those, when I think of parables, I think of the prodigal son. Like, that's only in Luke. Same thing with the good Samaritan. Um, so anyway, to conclude... Yes, Luke is a very unique book in terms of content and style, and like them, and I hope you guys, I'm excited to go through it. So, starting next week, I think Mark Thomas is up. No? Oh, you're right, it's the fifth week. Mark Bull is up. Boy, I really confused you guys for a second. Oh, I'll close in prayer. <laughs> Dear Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that you would bless our, our study of the, the book of Luke, um, help it to enrich our, our faith, and just that you would increase our faith and our love for you and change, change us. Um, we pray for our church that you would, you would bless us and help us to give you glory in everything and make us a light for you. In Jesus' name, amen.